On this Freestyle Friday, I'm talking about out-of-the-way restaurants, enjoying the experience of dining out, Asian grocery stores, and food TikTok. My name is Jade Del Coro, and you're listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. So have you ever been to a restaurant that you had to go out of your way just to go to? Now, I'm not talking about like just going on vacation or something, but like going out of your realm to go visit and have some food. Um, this is exactly what happened to me last week. And uh, I was invited and it wasn't very far, really. It was in the city, but it was like in a place where I would never, well, I never find myself going to. It was in the middle of Foothills Industrial, right? And unless you work in that area, you would have no reason to go there unless you have kids that play hockey at the rink. And this is where this place happens to be located. It's at a rink. It's at the Great Plains Recreational Facility in Calgary's Foothills Industrial. So I was invited by the owner. Her name is Robin, and she owns a food truck called Crave, which is a burger truck. And they just got this permanent location. So I went out there with Josh and it's a fairly new addition to the community and they have a full menu, burgers, sandwiches, sides, including this burger, their signature, which is called the Saddle Up Burger. It's a massive burger. So, I mean, if you like that kind of burger, right, there's a lot of different types of burgers that and I mean, judging a burger is very subjective. There are so many criteria. There's so many different types right now that people will either really like a thin burger, like a smash burger, which is what I like, or really thick and hearty kind of messy burgers that you need a ton of napkins. This one kind of falls into that, that realm. So anyways, um, so we went to this place. And it is at a hockey rink. And I know to many of you guys from Saskatchewan out there, the mention of rink and burger evokes strong feelings of nostalgia. So I can tell you right now this, honestly, this isn't a, a rink burger that you're used to, but it may be of some comfort to know that Crave has got the burger game locked down here. So in the Saddle Up Burger featuring meat, cheese, mushrooms, and onion rings, simplicity becomes an art form because there's not a lot to hide behind when you do something like this. The focus on quality of ingredients becomes paramount. They feature a six-ounce chuck patty, and it's, you know, basically seasoned, flavors unhindered by excessive toppings, unless you consider the addition of sliced rib steak excessive. That's right. Chuck patty and sliced rib steak. And uh, holding it all together is cheese. And in this case, cheese curds, which adds a layer of richness and complements the meat without overshadowing it. This approach allows the diner to appreciate the essence of the ingredients, celebrating the harmony of meat and cheese in a microcosm of taste and texture, all generously stacked in a perfectly toasted brioche bun. Now add to that your choice of mayo, or in this case, uh, the my case, I had the horseradish sauce. 
and you have a solid and hefty burger. Now, really, like, someone on Facebook asked after I posted this, um, what, you know, where's the sauce? What kind of sauce is like? When, when, and when you have something like this that, that focuses on, like, just the pure flavors of meat and things, you don't need a lot. And in this case, mayo or the horseradish sauce is is fine. Like, I mean, if you want to add more, add more. And if you're the purist, kind of craving the more traditional accoutrements, there's also a selection of burgers that they have. Featuring the same six-ounce chuck patty with the classic toppings of lettuce, onion, pickles, ketchup, mustard, and mayo. And uh, though I do like classic toppings on my burgers, I think that the addition of those elements to the Saddle Up burger would cause structural catastrophe requiring way more napkins than I had. So, yeah, that's where I'm going to stay with that. And I also wanted to note that all of these burgers come with fresh cut fries, which is kind of unheard of when you when you uh, have a burger these days. But overall, I was impressed with the quality of the ingredients and in their offering. It's called Crave, or Craven. I should say Craven. Um... So overall, I was impressed with the quality of the ingredients in Craven's offerings. The portions were generous, and I found myself well-fed after the fact that I hadn't eaten all day in preparation for this visit. So if you're a burger aficionado who prefers the glory of a hearty two-handed burger, and you're up for a little food trip, then Craven will hit the spot. And if you're in the neighborhood, be sure to go in there and visit and say hi to Robin. Tell her I sent you. Now, if you're a new restaurant in an out-of-the-way location, it's usually because you got a really sweet deal on the rent or some special circumstance. You might be in a place where you need to service a certain type of clientele, whether it's like a corporate setting. Uh, in this case, it's a hockey rink, so there's a lot of families that go in there for you know their kids and hockey games and tournaments and stuff. When I was doing Eats of Asia for the first time, we started at a market in Millerville, which was a seasonal summer farmer's market, which operated for, you know, the months of the summer. And those days included like a special Canada Day <clears throat> horse races. It included like a rodeo that they did. And basically it was like a captive audience. So there was a lot of revenue to be made in that location. So it was really good in our in our case. And uh, like I said, you're in a community that is very isolated from the city. And you become a destination. So a lot of our uh, clientele and customers came from in the area as well as from Calgary that were coming in for the farmer's market. And we posted the shit out of ourselves for those first you know the first season out of Millerville on Instagram and we you know we got a lot of people coming in and it was weird because we were out in the middle of like ranch you know farm country doing laksa like curry laksa and then we did like steam bow and stuff like that and it was yeah it was a little weird but it was cool people liked the food and it was a good way to to get a good start. So like there are, and, and you know, there are a lot of 
notable restaurants out there, past and present, like uh, Marv's Classic Soda Shop. Do you remember Marv's Classic Soda Shop in Black Diamond? It was a classic kind of 50s era style soda shop with like a real soda fountain. And he would play Elvis songs in the dining room. And all everyone would dress like, you know, 50s. And they had burgers and fries and you know, all that stuff you'd see out of a classic soda shop like that. They're gone now. And which is kind of sad because it was a, a great little spot to go to. There was also Chuck Wagon Cafe in Turner Valley. Turner Valley has this great little cafe. And of course, it's very beef centric. And one of the things that they have there is this croissant Benedict with a steak, which is really good. And a lot of people go there just for that. And then, of course, in Longview, we have Longview Steakhouse, which gets rave reviews all the time. I've never been there, actually, but I always hear about people going to Longview and people like, you know, saying that it's better than a lot of the stuff that you can get in the city. So maybe it's worth a trip, a little bit of a a road trip, right? Now, in the extremes, there's like Favakin in Sweden. And of course that was like a one of the top 10 restaurants in the world. Very out of the way. You had to go out there to Sweden first of all and you you make reservations at the at the the farmhouse or wherever it is that where they were situated to in order to get a reservation to eat at Favikin. But anyways, my point is that you know, thriving restaurants and out-of-the-way locations achieve, they achieve a status beyond a mere establishment that serves food. They become, they become a destination, right? And they're an experience that is just, that the trip is just a part of, right? An experience. Isn't that what every restaurant visit should be? If you're paying to eat food that is cooked by someone else in a location other than your home, shouldn't the experience be part of the package? If you really think about it, a restaurant isn't merely a food business. You know, it's a hospitality business, of course. A restaurant designer, interior designer, will tell you that a restaurant is a real estate business, right? Someone else may tell you that it is an entertainment business. And it it does, it does follow under all of those things. Food is an integral part of this whole complex machine as well. Like you look at, uh, especially in fine dining, right? It draws you in, and then this machine takes over. It woos you, it massages your ego, pumps up your clout, and and makes you feel like you're on top of the world for a precious hour or two, and then it spits you out a few hundred dollars lighter. That's essentially what it is. Now, of course, there are many that, you know, just don't have the disposable income for such an adventure. You know, fine dining, of course, is a treat that is normally save for special occasions. And uh, for me, I find, I find adventure in both, in both the new and the tried and true. Of course, super laid back and uncomplicated is my kind of, of dining. In other words, like casual. <laughs> but what is it that makes casual dining experiences so special? Well, you could say usually it's the owner, it's the people, right? 
maybe it's a wonderful mom and pop, like the like the couple that runs Deerhead Cafe, the Korean couple. They have been there forever, and whenever I go there, you know the you know Oma over there knows what I order. It could be like months between visits, and I'll sit down and she'll know exactly what I ordered. And <laughs> there's also this lovely Vietnamese family that runs uh, John's Breakfast and Lunch on 4th Street. Really cool. And it's, it's this little tiny place, but they're just like the, the coolest people. So, I mean, there's those things, right? There's that certain je ne sais quoi that keeps you going back there. And this could be like even the smallest gestures. Like you, you ever go to Kinjo, then you probably have had the free pocky at the end of the meal. Or you remember the uh, original Anju in the house? And Royo gave you wet wipes after you had those wings, the crazy delicious wings. And the wipes were Tony Roma wipes that were like clearly you know, plastered over with the Anju label. And it's kind of like those little things that stick in my mind. And all I'm saying is that like good places have a quirk that sets them apart. It could be like something small. It could be something big. It could be the hospitality. It could be the sticker wall. We had a sticker wall at the market when we were at Crossroads and everyone would come to look at the stickers and, and they would ask if they can put their own stickers up. And then, you know, Eight years later, we had this giant mural of just plastered stickers. Yeah, it's like the quirk that sets them apart. If if you think hard about your favorite restaurants, whether you dine in or grab and go, it's there. That quirk is there and you may or may not know it because you experience it so often. So you remember when, I'm going to go way back and age myself, but do you remember when restaurants gave away matches? Yes, people used to smoke in restaurants. And yes, people used to collect matchbooks like souvenirs back in the day. So yeah, restaurants would print matchbooks and they would, you know, give them out with the ashtray when you had your smoke or whatever. And then you take it home. And a lot of people would just save them, save them from every place, like like a collector, like a, you know, collecting cards. And uh, swizzle sticks, too. If you remember swizzle sticks, like cocktails, some uh, places, fancy places, would have their own swizzle sticks that people would keep as well. You know, so before Instagram's colorful, splashy compositions documenting your visit, it was collections of matchbooks, swizzle sticks, cocktail napkins, that's a big one, too. Or maybe they cop a menu, which served as the memento for posterity. I don't think I'd ever do it now, especially with a lot of places now that have QR menus. You just can't, <laughs> you just can't, it's not the same anymore. Uh, wasn't life simpler before we farmed for likes and engagement? To this day, whenever we go to a restaurant with a huge expectation, I'll never take pictures. I never do. I don't. I put away my phone. Now I always want to remember a special place in my mind, and I like to document my experience with my words. And I guess it gives you good practice as a writer to to do things like that. But really, it 
when you document an experience in your words rather than just showing a picture, it just, to me, it means a lot more. It has a more deeper intrinsic value to me. This reminds me of a trip that uh, my wife and I took to Seattle to visit one of my YouTube friends, um, Jesse Smith, to shoot some episodes of our respective shows together. He had a show called Deep Prep. And of course, I was shooting The Aimless Cook at the time. And while we were there, we, you know, we did all the tourist shit. We went to Pike's Market and saw the dudes throwing the fish and went to the original Starbucks and all that stuff. But we went, we visited this French bistro near the market called Le Pichet. And it was a recommendation from a friend of ours that, uh, that had just uh, gone and and she just said order the roast chicken she said order the roast chicken just get a charcuterie board with some nice cheese and and just chill and enjoy yourself so we took her advice we went to Le Pichet and like a typical French bistro it's small it's cozy and tables are like right next to each other shoulder to shoulder and the place is packed and abuzz with conversation and clinking flatware and servers, you know, bringing food. So we carefully navigate between the bodies, you know, kind of sidestep through to our table. And we look at the menu and go straight for the roast chicken. And it says that if you order the roast chicken, it takes an hour. An hour. So they're doing the chicken to order. And it comes with, you know, some roast veg or a side of ratatouille, whatever's fresh at the moment, right? So we order the chicken and we get some wine, cheese, charcuterie, and basically settle in. As I take the first sip of wine and a bit of cheese, time slows down to a crawl. And all of a sudden, the experience of the present is everything. The cheese, as it disperses on my palate, begins to reveal secrets of its origin, its terroir. It tells me the story of endless pastures, rainy days in a grassy expanse that smells like wildflowers, blades of grass that glisten with morning dew. That's a little dramatic. But I mean, like, it's, that's the impression. When the chicken finally arrives, I finally, I get this, I feel this sense of excitement, right? Like everything we had before its arrival was just getting us ready for this moment. I mean, I've had roast chicken countless times before, but this was different. This was different. It was all about being there in that moment. The plates are presented before us and I see this perfectly roasted chicken and it's piping hot, steam coming off it. And it is on this you know, humble bed of ratatouille. And the skin is crispy, it's golden, and as I begin to cut into it, it yields its juices from the meat. And I take the first bite, and it's just, you know, heavenly. And it's such a simple ingredient made with the utmost care and proficiency that only expert hands that have done this countless times could prepare. So you see, you see what I mean? I could have just showed you a picture of this dish on Instagram and, you know, hell, it may have been a really good photo. But here in my mind, and hopefully yours, there's an image that will resonate more than any old post or reel. This is the experience. So whether you're in a tiny bistro in Seattle 
or a hockey rink in, in an industrial park hunting for an elusive burger, just slow down. Find adventure in every turn. Relish the simple thrill of doing something new. You don't have to be on a vacation in Shanghai or Sweden. You can be uh, trying a new sandwich shop or taking a road trip to a steakhouse outside the city or even a drive to a neighborhood eatery mirroring the diversity of the local community, a.k.a. go eat in the hood. You will never experience new and exciting things if you stick to the old routine. One of the things that I love doing is going to the Asian grocery store, like TNT. I actually enjoy walking aimlessly up and down the aisles, exploring the vast representation of the countless countries and regions summed up in the multicolored packaging, sealed earthenware jars, and curious, awkwardly translated labels describing common everyday ingredients in any Asian pantry. I often go alone or with someone who is very like-minded because anyone else just considers grocery shopping as a task that needs to be completed in the shortest time possible, well, we can't be friends. Sometimes I even go and I don't end up buying anything, just killing time. And But that's a rare occasion. Through the years, my purchases have gone from the safe and predictable, like Chinese day-old bun packs, dried shiitake, lapchong, laoganma, to like more obscure and diverse like canned fried dace with black beans, or yuba skin, sticks, yuba sticks, fermented tofu. Um, You know, I can definitely thank my broadened horizons to the endless evenings that I've spent diving into YouTube rabbit holes via channels like Chinese Cooking Demystified, Aaron and Claire, or Made with Lao. It was by watching these videos like these that put these otherwise novel ingredients into an everyday cooking context that I've come to appreciate. How many times have you been to an Asian grocery store, picked up a product or a foreign piece of produce and thought, how do I use this? As a cook, I do this often, and typically it's because I love the challenge of getting out of my culinary comfort zone. And better yet, it's those discoveries that make you shake your head and think, why haven't I discovered you sooner? So one of these discoveries is a jarred condiment that I keep regularly on hand now, which is best described as pickled olive vegetable. Pickled olive vegetable. And at first glance, it doesn't look like much. It comes in a jar with a blue label, and the contents look completely black. And it's made by slowly braising mustard greens and black olives in soy sauce and other aromatics until it becomes like a paste. And um, if you're familiar with the Japanese condiment noritsukudani, then you know what I'm talking about. So noritsukudani is a paste made in a similar way by braising nori in soy sauce, mirin, sake, and a bit of dashi. And essentially what you get is a paste that you can put on all sorts of stuff. Uh, In both cases, what you get is this amazing and delicious kind of umami bomb ingredient. But if I were to compare the two, I would have to say that the olive veg is better due to the fat content from the olives that keeps, that, that helps dis- distribute the flavors better on your palate. The nori tsugudani is also tasty, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have the roundness or depth of the olives and mustard greens. So how do you use it? Well, the most simple way is to put it on a bowl of steamed rice. 
And now this is the epitome of what Chinese call xiafansai, or uh, food that goes well with rice. Probably butchered that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that on a future episode because there's a lot of really simple and cool things that you can just have with rice. With the olive veg, you just have to be careful with the actual olives because they have these pointy pits inside. But cooking is where the olive veg shines because of the richness of the olive oil. The flavors dispersed so well and it marries beautifully with whatever you're cooking and it's incredibly simple, right? Stir fries with green beans, uh, fried or braised tofu, uh, fried rice, or fish are instantly transformed instantly you can even you know toss some fries or tater tots in this and it'll be amazing or fried eggs on toast you're welcome so next time you're at tnt go look for the pickled olive vegetable you won't be sorry trust me on this and then grab a bag of the day-old buns from the bakery they're usually like the assorted leftover buns from the previous day so you never know what you'll end up with. It's very Forrest Gump. So you know how Western grocery stores have a Asian aisle? Or what they used to say was an Oriental aisle? And uh, I am guessing that it is there because to reflect demographics at the time. But I mean, is there always, there's still an Asian aisle, isn't there? And it has evolved somewhat. Like some stores have a more diverse Asian aisle than others. Um, more, more notably, I, I noticed that in places like Superstore or Loblaws or wherever you are, there is a more diverse type of Asian aisle, which includes, you know, many regions of Asia, many regions of South Asia, like India, and... Of course, now it even has a Caribbean section as well. And, and I guess it's just to reflect the demographics now, right? Whereas it used to be back in when in the 70s and 80s, it was like the one aisle where you could get soy sauce. And it was usually like China Lily or some crap like that. And And then eventually they had, you know, Mr. Noodles or something. And I mean, some stores like that today are a little bit still like that. <laughs> so I would say with, I think the best Asian aisle currently is probably Superstore. Um, but did you know that TNT has a Caucasian aisle? They do. What's in the Caucasian aisle? Well, I don't go there much because there's this one aisle, one face of, of one section of shelving. And I believe it is usually cereal like a few selections of cereal um dry pasta and i think like craft dinner something like that and that's it maybe like maple syrup or something like that but you, you know usually it's something like that it's almost like uh we're firing back right like take this <laughs> is this how you sum us up well look at this Here's your mayonnaise. Here's your ranch dressing. Uh, it, it's, I don't know. It's just <laughs> Caucasian Isle. Go check it out yourself. TNT. Um, yeah. 
So last episode, I was talking with my friend Chanri Thatch. She is a social media marketing manager and uh, very familiar with the world of food influencers. And if you want to listen to that episode, that is episode five. And basically, you know, we, we had talked about some of our frustrations and what we, you know, why she was retired as an influencer. But, um, yeah, I'd mentioned, you know, we, she mentioned my, uh, TikTok and I started the TikTok back during the pandemic and it's called Rice Daddy Eats. You can go visit. I'll include a link on the show notes. Uh, why did I start a TikTok? Well, uh, one of the reasons was I was really kind of fed up with a certain group of influencers. I was tired of seeing the same people making the same posts over and over again. Now, I called it fluff on the last episode because it, it is. Essentially, being told that a place is good for no particular reason doesn't resonate as being very influential. Now, yes, food can look good, but that's a very small part of the story. Like, why, why do I need to try the guacamole? Why do I need to spend more at Fondafora for the guacamole instead of, say, guacamole that was made at Crossroads Market? Because they make the guacamole fresh there. I see it with my eyes. Because there's no, there's no one to tell you why. And again, like if you're eating a free feast, why should I be inclined to spend my money there if, if, if you don't have any perception of value of any given experience? You know what I mean? There's always an obsession with newness as well. And I, I know that PR companies often work with local influencers to build up this hype for new restaurants. And in most cases, this consists of like a media event or hosted event, quotes, for a list of the top influencers in any given locale. It is a lot kind of like what Yelp used to do with, with the, the community get-togethers then, which resulted in, of course the Yelp elites, uh, as a result, we're bom always bombarded with posts and reels of the latest spots. You know, lots of eye candy, lavish spreads, clinking glasses and mingling. And it's all good, whatever. But I'll tell you something, and you probably know this already. New restaurants are rarely good. And what I mean by that is that a new restaurant could have a solid concept, a great management, a talented chef, a great team, front of house, back of house. But what they don't have is that work culture that defines them as a cohesive unit. They don't have that yet because they're brand new. So, of course, there's going to be bugs along the way. And then, like, and, you know, as I've seen examples of, especially with places of late that I have seen that have opened, menus change from the media events to the actual menu. And it's not, you know, it's not a fault of, of the restaurant. It's a matter of like responding to, you know, criticisms and stuff, which is constructive, I believe. Yes. You know, everything, the point is that everything is so new, you know, they don't know that the bowls are better next to the warmer or that the green onions are better shredded than chopped. Like, I mean, it's the little tiny details that are very ingrained in, in, in established restaurants that 
have been doing their thing for a long time that a new restaurant just doesn't have yet. And it's because of that, it takes time for a new team to gel, you know, just like when you rebuild a sports team, it's the same thing. As this is happening, truly great restaurants, like old restaurants that are, are getting no love. And it's almost as if the city just goes through restaurants like a kid with a new toy. And once the new shit comes along, they toss aside the old shit. So I wanted to use my TikTok for good. No, <laughs> I wanted to use my TikTok to celebrate places that have been around, you know, like especially mom and pops, the underdogs and the out of the way spots, like the burger joint at the beginning of the episode, right? I, I, feel, I felt that giving places like this some much deserved attention and recognition and love was a way that that I could make a positive impact on this industry. And I mean, if you really want to read a good book, a really good book on the restaurant industry with plenty of hot takes, please read The Next Supper by Corey Mintz. This book came out during the height of the pandemic. That's when I started reading it. And uh, it talks about everything from how the pandemic changed diner habits how restaurant strategies had to change and evolve to survive, and of course, a little chapter on influencer culture, which was incredible. I listened to this audiobook while I would prep at Eats of Asia, and it's kind of one of those books that has you like nodding your head and like agreeing wholeheartedly, audibly, at almost every turn. So much that people who are outside of my earbuds would look at me funny. So, I mean, if you have the chance to read this book, it's well worth the read. The Next Supper by Corey Mintz. I will also include that link in the show notes. I just want to say thank you very much for listening, for downloading, for reviewing the show. Uh, I ask you once again, if you love this show, please share it with your friends. Please rate and review. Be sure to follow me on Instagram comment on the post let me know because i use all of these comments and wonderful stories that you send and sound bites for episodes and it's great because i want you all in this community to be part of this show because it is very special to me and if it is that much special to you then i really appreciate you know hearing about it let me know you can email me at theaimlesscook at gmail.com or message me at theaimlesscook on Instagram. So that is it for me. My name is Jay Del Coro. You are listening to the Aimless Cook podcast, and we will see you on the next one. Peace. Peace.